All right, let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word, by your Holy Spirit, and may we receive it with hearts tuned to you, checking your word to see that it's true, and talking about it with one another. Be glorified this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, if you would. 1 Thessalonians 5. We are nearing the end of our book. We're getting very, very close to the end of 1 Thessalonians here. And I want us to remember as we're nearing the end who we are, who we are in Christ, who we are as the church, that we're not a club of people, a group of people with a common purpose of being uh, becoming acceptable to God by our actions. That's not us. We're not a club of people who uh, encourages one another, builds one another so that we can attain to and finally be acceptable in God's eyes. That's not us. We're not lifting ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're not a people who are becoming better and better all the time by our efforts, by our actions. That's not us. But instead, who we are is a group of people who realize our need for God, who realize that He is holy God. He is holy and perfect and without sin and realize about ourselves we are quite the opposite. We are finite and we're fallen and we have rebellion deeply rooted in our own hearts. And no matter how much lifting of our own bootstraps we did, we wouldn't be made acceptable in His sight. We wouldn't improve and improve and climb the ladder and finally one day attain it. We're a group of people who realize that, who realize that holy God and sinful man are separated, have been separated. But God, being rich in mercy, right, sent His Son to become one of us, to live perfectly, to obey God in a perfect way that we could never do, and then went to the cross to pay the penalty, the horrible penalty, that you and I owe that we could never bear to pay. And because of that, by faith in Him and what He's done, we are declared to be right with God because of what He's done. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're a bunch of people who realize our need and our lack and our depravity. And we look to God to make us right with Him. That's who we are. Now, something that's amazing to me is that all of that is amazing to me, first of all. But something that's amazing to me is that He didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He gives His Holy Spirit to the church. He gives His Holy Spirit to His children. Jesus talks about in John 14 and John 16, we read about it all over in the book of Acts, about the gift of the Holy Spirit to His people and the work that He wants the Holy Spirit to do in the life of the church. That's amazing. He didn't just 
do all of this work and then set us here and then say, okay, enjoy the next 50, 70 years of your life. Don't screw it up too bad and I'll see you in heaven. That's not what he said. And I'm pretty happy about that. But instead he gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us to do all manner of things in our lives. And we're going to talk about that. And to do all manner of things in the life of the church. So he's not even done yet. He accomplished it, yes, but he's not done working. He wants to keep working in the church. And we get to benefit from that. So he gives the helper, the Holy Spirit, to live within us. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? This is all by way of introduction. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does he do in the life of the believer, in the life of the church? Well, he does many things. One thing he does is empower us for the work of mission. He gives us power for the work of mission. Think of Acts chapter 1, right? You'll receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? He empowers us for his mission. That's one thing the Holy Spirit does. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is he works to purify his children from sin. To purify his church from sin. That's what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to work purity into our lives. The Holy Spirit also reveals truth to us. Right? Illumines our minds so that we can understand Scripture. Right? He helps us to understand. He reveals truth. And he also works in the body of Christ to unify us so that we would be unified in Christ and not just a bunch of individuals gathered in one room but that we would also be a body that's what the holy spirit does he works to accomplish those things theologian wayne grudem summarized uh, the work of the holy spirit like this he said the work of the holy spirit is to manifest the active presence of god in the world and especially in the church so the holy spirit is here to show that god is here and that he is active to show that God is here and that he is active. And so the aspect of that that we're going to look at today is specifically about our relationship to the Spirit. And that's what I've called our sermon today, Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. If you look in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to look at 19 through 22. I like how these verses get really, really short at the end of 1 Thessalonians. Really short. Rejoice always, right? That's a really short one. And this one's, uh, these are pretty short also, but there's a ton packed in there. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So he says right off the bat there, he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the the spirit. I'm a dictionary guy. I like to look words up. And so quench is not a word we use a ton, right? I think I can think of a couple things that we quench. Like you can, you could quench a fire. You can put out a flame by dousing it with water. That's one way to quench. Another is if you're really thirsty, you need to quench your thirst. It's like you got a fire in your throat and you need to put it out with water, right? So that's kind of the idea. And he says, don't do that to the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Don't douse the flame of the spirit, but instead Feed the flame of the Spirit. Feed the flame of the Spirit. All right, Paul, I'm with you. Feed the flame of the Spirit. Don't quench it. How do we do that? Well, he moves on. (laughs) But how do you do that? How do you feed the flame of the Spirit? Well, first of all, you have to listen. 
you have to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, chances are very great that he's not going to speak to you audibly. Okay, very great. He can do that. He does that sometimes. Chances are very great that when he speaks to you, it will not be with an audible voice. Okay, it's not going to be an audible thing. We're not listening from some for some voice from heaven. Now, God could do that if he wanted, but instead what we're talking about is being sensitive in our hearts to the moving of the Holy Spirit, what he wants us to do when he stirs our thoughts and he stirs our hearts to action. He's moving by his spirit within us. All right, so the first point there is to listen. Well, how do you listen to God? How, how do you listen to God? His word, right? You start off, first of all, by reading and studying his word. That is the usual, the normal, and the most trustworthy way that God communicates with his people is by his word. By his word. The Bible never changes. It's objective. It's outside of me. It's not just something in here that I feel. I read it. It doesn't change. It's out there. It's objective. So, Paul says in in another place, it's the scripture that is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It's Scripture that does that. That's how we hear from the Holy Spirit. That's how we hear from God. But there's a very important secondary benefit that we get from reading God's Word. And that benefit is that we begin to learn God's heart and the things that He values. We begin to know what he loves when we read his word. And therefore, we begin to understand a little bit better how he might prompt me to behave. Because of the love that he has, because of the heart that he has, he's going to prompt his children to behave in a similar way. So the first way to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit is to read and study his word. And a second way is to pray. Second way is to pray. Now, Normally, we think of prayer as a conversation between us and God, but what we really mean is, I tell God some stuff. Or I ask Him for some stuff, right? Usually, when I think of prayer, frankly, that's practically what comes to mind. I'm going to tell God a few things, I'm going to say amen, and then we're going to go about my day, right? But really, prayer is a conversation between me and God, where I do a lot of talking, and He wants to talk too. But too often, I'm busy talking, move on to my next point, my next thing on my list that I'm giving him right, and I haven't stopped to listen. What I want to encourage us to do is when we're praying, listen. Listen for him. He might be answering your prayer right away. You're asking, Lord, what should I do about such and such? He might answer you right then and tell you what you should do. So don't be on to your next point. Be listening to him. It's a conversation. It, husbands and wives well, husbands particularly, in learning about conversation and learning about communication with their spouse, this is one of the things that, that we have to learn, right? It's not easy for us. I don't know if you knew this or not, but communication for a man is not a supernatural thing. Well, it needs to be supernatural. It's not a really natural thing, right, for me. Listen. Don't just talk. Listen. Okay, so prayer. A third way that we can Listen for God is to expect that he wants to speak to us. To expect that he wants to. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would reveal certain things to us. He would show us certain things. 
I'm guessing probably the Holy Spirit's going to reveal certain things to us if Jesus said that's what he's going to do. Expect that. Be expectant for that. Look for it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He wants to communicate with us. So expect his voice. So the first step in feeding the flame of the Spirit in your own life is to listen for His voice by getting into God's Word, by praying and by expecting Him to speak to you. So, spit zone, folks, first row. Get into God's Word. Get into God's Word and learn what His voice is like. Learn what His heart is like. Learn what He loves and love it. And learn what He hates and hate it. Get into his word, pray, be in conversation with him, and expect him to speak to you. He wants to. It's not just something that happens to people 2,000 years ago or to people in ministry or whatever. Anyone who is in Christ has this situation going on. Know his word. Be in prayer and expect him to speak. The second step in our learning to feed the flame of the Spirit is to obey what he tells you. It's shocking, I know. (laughs) Obey. He's going to talk to you, so you listen to him, and then obey. Do what he says, right? So when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something that that he wants you to do, or to say, do it. Go and do it. Don't dawdle. Don't think about it. Don't. If he tells you to do something, you need to do it, right? Get on it. I have a few examples here, just from the book of Acts. Uh, alone. Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist, right? He's down in the desert and he sees this guy riding by in a chariot, this Ethiopian eunuch. And it's interesting what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit said to him, go over and join this chariot. Spirit spoke to him, said, go join this chariot. So he does, goes over and joins the chariot and you all know what happens, right? The Ethiopian eunuch is reading scripture Philip's able to explain it to him. The guy gets saved and stops the chariot because he sees water and wants to get baptized, right? So this guy gets saved and baptized right there just like that because Philip obeyed when the Spirit said, hey, go join that chariot. Catch up with that chariot. I always had this vision in my mind of Philip running beside the chariot because who knows how fast the chariot goes? I don't know. But he did it, right? And the result is this guy gets saved. All right, a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 10, Peter is up on the roof, he has this great vision, right? This huge vision of God and, and the sheet lowered down and all kinds of stuff that goes on, right? The vision's amazing, but what I find amazing uh, in this context is that the Spirit said to him, Peter, three men are looking for you, go with them immediately. Peter's like, okay, and so he obeys. You know what happens? Peter goes, preaches the gospel to Cornelius, who's a Gentile, and his buddies, who are all Gentiles, and they get saved. First Gentile converts. First Gentile Christians right there. Because Peter obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit and went with these three guys. Okay, he obeyed. Acts 13, just three chapters later, the church in Antioch, the leaders and the elders at the church in Antioch, they're praying and fasting. And the Spirit says to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Saul, who had become Paul, the greatest missionary ever, and who wrote half of your New Testament. Because the Spirit said to the leaders, set them apart and send them on a mission. And they did it. The Holy Spirit spoke. So when he speaks, obey. 
respond in obedience. So we see an, an Ethiopian official get saved on the spot, right? We see the gospel go to Gentiles for the first time ever. I'm a Gentile. I appreciate that. Most of us are Gentiles, right? The gospel goes to Gentiles for the first time because the Spirit said go, and he went. And then Paul and Barnabas get sent on their missionary journeys. And so we have half of the New Testament and the gospel going around the world because of people being obedient to the Spirit. So what would have happened if Philip had said, yeah, whatever, I can't run that fast. I don't really want to go catch up with a chariot. It's dusty. Besides, he's Ethiopian, and I don't, you know, I don't know anything about that. So what if they had said that? What if Peter had said, you know, I'm, I'm up here. I'm really tired. It's lunchtime. That's why he, he was up there waiting for lunch when he had this vision. And the Spirit says to him, hey, three men are looking for you. Go with them immediately. What if he had said, you know, after lunch I'll go because I'm really hungry, right? I've been working a long time. I'm hungry. What if he had said that? What would happen? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened because he obeyed. And we see what did happen, right? So in our own context, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the fact that we're not doing a VBS this year. Instead, we're going to be hosting numerous five-day clubs. Maybe the Spirit is speaking to you about hosting one of those, about being involved in some way, maybe teaching one of those, getting involved, jumping into that, jumping into some other form of ministry in the summer. Maybe the Spirit's speaking to you. You need to say, yes, Lord, and go. Philip probably felt pretty goofy running beside that chariot. But he did it, and the result was awesome. Maybe the Spirit's speaking to you right now. When the Spirit leads us and we obey, then we get to see what he does in that situation. We get to see. Imagine those guys' experience. The three examples I just gave. The stories they had afterwards, they had seen God work in amazing ways. Can you imagine Philip talking to his buddies that night? You wouldn't believe it. I was out in the desert, and this chariot went by, and God told me to chase it down, and so I did share the gospel with this guy he got saved and baptized right there in the desert somehow (laughs) i don't know how that works being from the desert but imagine they got to see god do that they got to see god active in their midst would that encourage you that would encourage me enormously that would encourage me enormously to see god use me in a situation like that to see him use you in a situation like that that would encourage me So when he does that, we get encouraged and we learn to hear what his voice sounds like, the kinds of thing he wants us to do. We hear his prompting, we get to learn it a little bit, and then we begin to wonder, hey, when's he going to do that again? When's he going to do that again? Every time Philip saw a chariot go by, he's listening for the Spirit's voice. Do I chase it down or not, Lord? Do I chase it down? Right? He's anticipating because he wants to be involved. He wants to get into what God is doing there. Jesus said that one who is faithful with a little bit will be given more. I would like to be faithful with that little bit and respond to the prompting of the Spirit. Not ignore it, not quench it, but respond to it. When we obey the leading of the Spirit, then God sees that we're faithful in that little small way, and He gives us more and more opportunity and more leading. Let's respond to it. Don't quench the leading of the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit, but feed it. This is how we feed the flame of the Spirit. We listen for the voice, and then we obey when we hear it. And then he says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. So not only are we to 
feed the flame of the Spirit, but we're to heed the voice of the Spirit. Heed the voice of the Spirit. Now, prophecy is an interesting word. has some connotations. We have quite a few prophets in the Old Testament, right? We have major prophets. We have minor prophets. We have prophets that didn't write anything, right? So the idea of prophecy, I think, needs to be defined. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about prophecy defined, okay? Now, I'm going to do that by talking about what it's not, first of all, in this case. What prophecy is not in this passage? It's not just a foretelling of the future. If you look through the New Testament and you look at the uses of the word prophecy and prophesying, it's not normally a prophecy of something that's going to happen, a foretelling of the future. That's not normally what it is. We'll look at more what it's not or what it is later. So it's not a foretelling of the future. It's also not an infallible word from God. That kind of surprised me a little bit because I think a prophecy, that's when God faxes you something, right? And hey, you've got it right there, right? That's kind of what I tend to think. But if you look at the New Testament, you'll see that it's not. It's not an infallible word for God, nor is it of equal authority with Scripture. So we have stuff that's written. We know what's written, right? In the New Testament, when you look and people receive prophecies, do you know what they did? They subjected the word that they thought they received from the Lord to Scripture to see if it was so. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about that. Acts chapter 1 talks about that. Acts, Acts 21, excuse me, 21, is very interesting there because Paul, uh, a friend of his, prophesies to Paul and says, uh, talking about what's going to happen if he goes to Jerusalem and therefore he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. You know what Paul does? Goes to Jerusalem. You think Paul would disobey Scripture? If he were reading Scripture or a fax from God that said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die. You think he would go to Jerusalem? If you got a fax from God, would you? No, you'd do what it said, right? Hopefully. Paul would have too. So he subjected this prophecy that he got to Scripture and said, you know what? Maybe my going to Jerusalem, being arrested, and having bad things happen would not be a bad thing. And so he went. So he disobeyed a prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 explicitly tells the church, weigh the prophecies, weigh what is said. So when someone gives something that they say is a prophecy... You don't just say, oh, okay, and then write that down as, you know, Acts chapter 29 or Revelation, you know, 23 or whatever, right? Instead, you open your Bible to check. They were to compare to Scripture. We'll get into that more later on. But they were, the, the Corinthians were told in 1 Corinthians 14 that they were to sift through what had been said. Sift through it and see, yeah, this is really good. I think we should do that. Or, you know, it's not. That's, that's not from God because of this reason. And they were to make decisions from that. So, I've said a few things that prophecy is not. So, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? Well, as, as I understand it, prophecy in the New Testament seems to be very different from prophecy in the Old Testament. Can you imagine Isaiah the prophet or Jeremiah or Ezekiel giving a prophecy and then saying, but go test that by Scripture and, and see if you should really obey it? Do they do that? They say, thus says the Lord, disbelieve it at your peril. Right? That's the way they talk. Here's the word of the Lord. You can do with it what you want. Consequences are pretty bad if you disobey it. But here's what God says. That's the way the Old Testament prophets speak. So in the New Testament, it's a little bit different. I think the New Testament concept of prophecy is when God 
brings something to mind for us to say to someone else. When God brings something to mind for us to say. That's a pretty big word for, for that thing. But think in your own life. Have you ever had someone say something to you that they were like, you know, I don't know why I'm saying this exactly, but it seems like the Lord is speaking to me and I need to say this to you. And they don't know why they're saying it except that God gave it to them and you're sitting on the other end receiving it and you know why they said it. You ever had that happen? I've had that happen. I've been on the receiving end and the giving end of that. But I think that's what prophecy in the New Testament is. It's when God reveals something to you that he wants you to pass on to this other person or pass on to someone else. I think that's what he's talking about. And Paul tells us in this passage not to despise prophecies, but to heed the voice of the Spirit. And so to understand better uh, this idea of prophecy and what's at stake by despising prophecies, by hating prophecies or counting them as nothing, I want to look at a prophecy's purpose. Prophecy's purpose. And these are all from 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to flip over to 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to have a couple of little subpoints here, three subpoints, all out of 1 Corinthians 14 discussing prophecy. The first purpose of prophecy is for building up the church. It's for building up the church. Verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 14 say this. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and edification. The one who prophesies builds up the church. So that's one of the purposes, is for us to be built up. For our church, not just us individually, but corporately, for us to be built up in the faith. Down in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about prophecy being a sign to believers. It's a sign to believers. It's a sign that God is in our midst and that he's moving. He's in our midst. He hasn't left us. We're not just on our own fumbling through life. We're not just on our own trying to figure out what life in 2013 should be like. We're not on our own. He's with us and he speaks to us. It's a sign that God is in our midst and that he's moving. And then down to verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 14. He says, prophecy is a sign to unbelievers. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When the Holy Spirit moves us to speak to one another, I, I, I really don't know why... I, I just think the Lord wants me to tell you this, and we say that to the, to the person. We're not just making stuff up. We could be. We're going to talk about that in the next point. But when we speak honestly to a brother or sister in Christ, it's amazing what can be revealed. Sometimes you don't know why, but you look at a person and, and you think, is everything okay at home? Something wrong at home? Seems like maybe there's something going on you and your wife okay sometimes that can have just a powerful effect sometimes that's just our observation sometimes it's the lord showing us something this is what i mean when i'm talking about prophecy and so if you have someone come in come into your small group come into your church who doesn't know the lord and they're they're sitting there thinking well they these people they pray that's kind of weird i don't do that in my normal life they sing they stand together and sing facing one direction that's weird. 
okay? For you who didn't grow up in church, that seems weird to those of us uh, who didn't grow up in church, right? To stand and face one direction and all sing. It's like everybody's standing on an elevator and facing the door when all the people are standing. Why not turn and talk to them? I don't know. It's singing in church. I mean, there are some things that we do in church that are weird. And for a person who walks in off the street, doesn't know the Lord, they can seem kind of strange. And they might tend to think, so apparently these people like to sing, they like to get together and hug each other. Um, also kind of weird, maybe. Not, you know, it's a churchy kind of thing. Outside the doors, maybe not so much. It seems like these people are good people. I'll bet it's a club of good people. That's what I thought church was before I came to know Christ. A club of good people. And I wasn't a good person, so I certainly couldn't make it into that club. And I didn't really want to be a good person, so I wasn't even going to try. That was me, right? Is that the church? You and I know that that is not the church. But that's what's seen. But imagine someone walks into your small group, someone walks into your church, and they hear people speaking in a very real and personal way to each other. Maybe even confronting sin. Listening to the moving of the Spirit. And they hear a prophecy like is talked about here in 14. Again, this is not a discussion of such and such is going to happen in the future or God says so and so is going to win the election. But it's more of God saying, say this to the person. You don't know why, but God knows. And he does that. All of a sudden, the person who's walked in, who's not a member, who's not part, they see that God is really there. He's really at work. There's something different. We know it's the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. Now, we in the West have a tendency to, well, not not all denominations and not all brands of church. Typically, the kinds of church that I would be involved in, we have a tendency to be pretty cerebral. I have a tendency to be cerebral. I like to think about things. I like to teach about things. I like to read about things. I don't want to stray too far. I don't, I don't want to, I, 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 you know, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within me, I'm pretty comfortable with him helping me understand Scripture and giving me power. But anything beyond that is a little uncomfortable for me. But Paul says here, don't despise prophecies. And I think I have been guilty of that. I've been guilty of ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life because I'm so cerebral. Hold on, because I know, I know there's a struggle, and I have the, own, the struggle in my own mind. I don't want to be subjective, right? I don't want to be just doing everything I feel like and whatever. I don't want to be, you know, uh, just a, a subjective going, up, you know, going about life just responding to my gut. We're going to talk about that. Hold on to that tension. We're going to get there. But Paul warns us, don't despise prophecies. And what's the cost to us if we ignore his warning and we begin to deny or despise the existence of this kind of prophecy? First of all, we lose an important means of building up the church body. Remember, that's what Paul said it was for, building up the church body. Second, we lose a means of knowing that God is actively moving in our midst. If I'm 100% cerebral, 100% cerebral, and I ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit, I ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I quench the Spirit. Then I stop seeing God moving in our midst. I stop seeing God moving in our midst. Thirdly, we forfeit a powerful aid in evangelism. Listening to the Holy Spirit. 
while talking to someone about Christ is important. At this point, I would say that um, this is a great encouragement to me to be involved in small group. I love our small group. And our small group is growing in depth and in relationship with one another. And one of the things I long to see in our small group is us being willing to address one another on a deeper and more spiritual, personal level. And to be willing to say, you know, I'm not sure where this is coming from. It seems like uh, maybe God would have me challenge you on this issue. Or you just need encouragement. I'm going to pour encouragement on you. I don't know why. You seem like you're doing okay, but I'm just going to pile encouragement on you. That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we each need that. For you guys who are graduating and going on, find a group of believers and join them. Be a part with them because you need to be built up and you need to be grounded and you need to be rooted and you need to be in this kind of relationship. You need this sign that God hasn't abandoned you. Just because you graduated and you left your hometown or you are in a different situation. You need to hear from God that he hasn't left you. So find a group of believers and get plugged in and relate to them in this kind of way. Don't despise prophecies. Instead, heed the voice of the Spirit. God gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit and prophecy for a purpose. But Paul warns us next, use discernment. Point number three, use discernment. It sounds a lot like 1 John 4, 1 that says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, if we don't use discernment, if we don't test these things, as he says in 21 and 22, he says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Test it. Test it. Test everything. Because some people just love to be led around by their emotions. That's just their default, right? So they're just, they're, they're, uh, they're kind of led around by their gut, right? Not really tied to anything. And he's saying, don't just follow your gut around or just follow around what you think the Holy Spirit is saying to you or your friend said something to you and thought it was from God, therefore you got to do it. It's all to be submitted to scripture it's to be submitted to scripture the holy spirit will never tell you to do something contrary to his will as revealed in scripture he will never tell you to behave in a certain way that's contrary to the character and nature of god as revealed in scripture you are not on your own you're not just to follow your gut around use discernment bible says we have sinful hearts deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it who can understand it I can't, and you can't, but God does. And so he's given us his word so that we can test these things by his word and we can see what he says to do in his word and God will never tell you in your heart to do something different than what he said to do in his word. Test, use discernment. This brings up an important point here about this discussion of prophecy. An additional element to our definition that we talked about earlier. Prophecy in the New Testament is subordinate to Scripture and it's subordinate to Christian teaching. It is subordinate. It comes under. Scripture has authority over it. When Isaiah wrote, it was Scripture. 
That is not the case now. When a prophecy is given now, it is to be subordinate. It is to be held under Scripture. This is the authority. That prophecy is not. Scripture never changes. Scripture is what is breathed out by God, and it's what's eternal, and it is what is inerrant. When a, if a message were to come to me from the Holy Spirit, it's probably going to get polluted to a certain degree by my own sinful heart. That's something we struggle with as, as humans. The message gets screwed up by the messenger. And so even if the, the Lord were to give me a word to say to you, you need to be aware that it came through a sinful vessel, and it could be pretty well tainted. So you need to check it, right? I could be confused, first of all, that it's even from God, or could have screwed it up horribly and given it to you. So it's still got to be subject to Scripture. It's what never changes. The Bible is the ruler by which we measure everything, including what we think is the Spirit's leading in our lives. Including something that he's brought to mind that we need to say. So he says, test everything, use discernment, and then A, retain what is good. So when you've tested a leading of the Spirit, when you've tested what your buddy said to you that he thought was from God, when you've tested that and you find it to be biblical, respond to it. Respond to it. We always want to be like good Bereans, and I always want you, we all always want you guys to be like the, the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. You guys know that story? The apostles were in one place and they got mistreated and their message was not received. The gospel was not received. So then they traveled down to Berea. And ha what happened in Berea? Now, those in Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scripture daily to see if these things were true. So the apostle Paul gets up and speaks. And they say, hold on a sec, Paul. And they're checking scripture to see if it's right every day. That's what we want you guys to be doing. That's what we want you to be doing. Don't just buy what we say hook, line, and sinker. Test it. On the other hand, if you don't like something someone says and it rubs you the wrong way, the tendency is to say, that wasn't true. I didn't like that. It wasn't real. Well, I challenge you. You've got to look into Scripture and see if it's real or not. It may very well be that something you hear from the pulpit or something a friend says to you or something you hear in class is from God and it is perfectly biblical. You just don't like it. Because of your lifestyle, because of your past, I don't know. But do you know, not liking it is not a reason not to obey it. God says to do something, we do it. God tells us something from his word, we do it, even if we don't like it. Even if it's inconvenient for my life. Right? So test it. So don't just like everything because the pastor said it. Test it. And don't just chuck what the pastor said because you didn't like it. You still got to test it. Because it may be true, and if it's true, you've got to do it. It's binding on you. Scripture is binding on you. So hold to it. Retain the good. Think more, not less. Think more, not less. Don't just go with your gut reaction or, that didn't sound like the sermon I heard 15 years ago. Think more. If it's wrong, it's wrong. You need to prove that. But if it's right, you need to prove that too. Retain the good and abstain, be abstain from evil. So if it turn, turns out that this message or this leading or whatever, this teaching is not true, abstain from it. 
He says in verse 22 there, abstain from every form of evil. If it doesn't stand up to the Bible, chuck it. Period. Chuck it. If it's against the Bible, chuck it. Now, message for you graduating seniors. You guys are entering a new phase of life. Some are going off to school. Some are going to work. Some are going to school and work. That's how I did it. That was tough. (laughs) When you do that, you're entering a new field. And you have new messages being presented to you. If you're in school, you're going to be confronted with images and messages and values and things from your classes, especially going to a non-Christian school. You're going to be presented with those things that are absolutely contrary to Scripture. I mean, it's amazing the things that are out there. There are classes being offered at different schools in Chicago I read about that I, I couldn't pronounce the name of the class in front of you for shame. You don't talk about stuff like that in company. So these are the things that are, that are out there. There are ideas coming your way that may even sound good, and they certainly sound like what everyone around you is saying. Test them. Test them. If they're found wanting, abstain. Chuck them. Get rid of them. Cut them out. The same thing at work. If you're going to work, I had. There are temptations that come at work that are that are uh, that are unique. There may be a party scene that you're you're invited and encouraged and shamed into getting involved with. There may be those around you who want you to lie on your timesheet because they did, and it would make them look bad if you told the truth. I've had that happen. You got to figure these things out. You got to understand the message that's coming. Run it through the grid of Scripture, and chuck it if it goes against it. Abstain from every form of evil. Test the ideas that come your way against God's revealed truth in Scripture. Scripture is what is the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. It's this. That's why we gave you a Bible. Take it with you. It fits right in your backpack. It fits in some back pockets. Take it with you. I'll close with this. Jesus is the one who accomplished the work of redemption in our lives. He obeyed the Father perfectly like we could never do. And he paid the horrific penalty for our sins that we could never have borne. And he did all of that so the righteous demands of God's holiness could be met and we could be made fit to be in his presence and to be called his children. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower us, to purify us from sin, to reveal truth to us and to unify us. Don't quench that spirit but feed the flame. Listen and obey when God prompts you. Heed the voice of the Spirit for the good of the church and the good of unbelievers. And be sure to test everything by Scripture so that you can retain the good and abstain from the evil. Let's pray. Lord, this is a a powerful message to me to read these few short verses about what you desire for us about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives Lord I have quenched the Spirit so many times ignored what he said not obeyed him so then he gets hard to hear and I don't want that I don't want that for any of us I want Parkside to be a group of people a body who hears the voice of the Holy Spirit when you prompt us to do something, to get involved with a five-day club or to share the gospel with a friend or to um, help somebody out who's struggling or, or just to 
go and talk to a person we don't normally talk to. I pray that we would be a people who respond in obedience in that situation, that we would do what the Spirit says to do, and that we would be excited by what you accomplish, and we would be more eager to listen, and we would know what your voice sounds like. Help us to do that. Help us to know how to speak to each other in a very real way that's not just cerebral, but that is sensitive to the moving of your Spirit. And help us to be a people of your Word who test everything that's said, including this message, by your Word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. You're dismissed.